My name is Anthony Desiato. For over 10 years, I shopped, worked, and hung out at a comic book store in Westchester, New York, called Alternate Realities. It was the best after-school job a kid who loved comics could possibly ask for. More than a job, it was a clubhouse, a second home. Alternate Realities closed in 2015, but even though my comic shop is history, there's a whole world of stores out there. This season, on My Comic Shop History, I am bringing those stores, the business, the culture, and the fandom, to you as I speak to retailers around the country. Be part of the journey. This episode features Manhattan's Midtown Comics. Following my conversation with Midtown, stay tuned as I talk with Dan Greenfield of 13thDimension.com about his experience at Midtown as a customer. Enjoy! Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This episode, my journey to comic book stores across the country, brings me to New York City's Midtown Comics. Chances are, even if you've never been to New York, if you're a comic book fan, you've heard of Midtown Comics. With three locations, Times Square, Grand Central, and Downtown, a robust online store and delivery service, and a strong presence in the media and at conventions, Midtown is one of the largest comics retail enterprises anywhere. I am joined today by two guests, First, Ted Alexander is the store manager of the downtown location. Ted. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We also have Henry Verona, marketing assistant and events coordinator. Henry, thank you for being here. Hey, hey. Good to be here. Uh, So I'm very excited to be able to speak with both of you. Now, personally, even though I can't call myself a regular, uh, Midtown is nevertheless a part of my comic shop history. I live in Lower Westchester, and whenever I find myself in the city, I do try to stop by. And I've always wondered how you guys balance being such a large operation, dealing with thousands of customers on a regular basis, while still being a local comic book store. Uh, So let's get into this. We know that comic book fans come from all walks of life, but you guys get to see that on a daily basis, serving visitors not just from other parts of the country, but from all over the world. So my first question is, what are some of the characteristics of your stores that make them an inviting space for such a large cross-section of people? The thing that I like about Midtown that I think kind of differs, not from all different comic shops, but just the comic shop stereotype is that it's like dark and dungy and uh, not anymore, I should say that. Recently, a lot of stores are, have uh, broken that mold. But we're very open, inviting, bright lights, wooden floors. Everything shines. There's nothing hidden. You can't hide in any shadows. It's I, I don't want to call it the Disneyland of comic books, but it's you know it's like walking into like a like a Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, know. I would say uh, to take that uh, we're Metropolis versus Gotham. We're bright and shiny. <laughs> We've got a little bit of everything, and we try to have a lot of fun with the stores i do think that one of the things that's really great across our locations we have a lot of really good bright displays we have a lot of really accessible features of the store that make us really inviting i think sometimes you can find a comic book store that's a cool store but it might be a little bit edgy might be a little bit dark and might not be the kind of place you want to go with the family and we always aim to be a place that everybody feels comfortable everybody feels welcome uh and obviously you have a a fair amount of retail space to work with, which is unusual for Manhattan. I won't ask what, what rent is like, but I, I mean, I, I can imagine, um, but I'm obviously you guys I, have I the would space. love to know that as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but you have this space and you know you use it well sort of building off of that last question uh you know the first midtown location opened in 97 so we're mm -hmm. looking at 20 years yep. um at least from your time you know each of you and your experience um how have you seen the clientele change over over the years that you've been part of midtown well i came in uh to midtown the midtown family as you will probably about 10 years ago uh, I moved from California to New York and I walked in here and saw an application and I was like, I want to work here and, and ended up working. Uh, but when I started, uh, we only had two stores, the Times Square store and the Grand Central store, which had just opened up. The clientele was completely different than what I would used to. I used to work in a comic book shop in California where it was just guys coming in mm -hmm. after work, getting comics. And here it was everybody. It was guys bringing their kids guys bringing their wives, wives bringing their husband. I just seen a lot of like families come up. I have seen uh, literally a girl come in and uh, now she works for me. <laughs> she wow. came in, this is like 10 years, she's a, uh, but she, when, I, when I first met her, she was, you know, like a young girl come with her dad and now she's working. So it's nice to see that we're just bringing in like the consistency of a family, plus all the outside tourists that just happen to be walking by. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of the thing is that New York has changed a lot as a city, and that in turn has affected how much we respond to the clientele and how we change as a store. I mean, I grew up uh, idolizing Midtown. My father actually worked down the block before they built the New York Times building. There were a lot of small fashion stores, and my dad as a tailor worked in one of these fashion stores right on the same block. So I always grew up seeing Midtown, and it was, it was like this crazy world that was uh, exciting to be a part of when I finally grew old enough. And now it's really cool because we really have expanded over the years. I mean, Ted mentioned that even 10 years ago, we didn't have the stores that we do now. We have three retail locations, the Midtown uh, flagship store. That store itself has doubled. It was originally only one floor. Now it's two floors. And in that time, the way that they have reconfigured the space to really maximize and to try to get as much as we can for the fans and the consumers to enjoy. It's really impressive. One of the things that I uh, always find fascinating about that is if you imagine Times Square 20 years ago, where it's not like it is today, where it's, you know, all the bright lights, it was, it had a kind of a, a weird vibe to it. And uh, they, the, oh, the original owners, they took a chance of like, let's do a comic book shop here. And they didn't think it would work. Yeah. And here we are 20 years later. Uh, I work at the third satellite location and we have, a, you know, another one. It's just, and it's growing every day. It's very cool. And it's also one of those interesting things because, you know, you talk about New York 20 years ago. You talk about the comic book industry 20 years ago. 1997 was maybe not the best time in the world for comics. <laughs> it was kind of a risky endeavor because while there had been emerging, you know, consumer basis, the market was starting to collapse a little bit and eat itself. And through that, we were able to really rise up and provide the best for the fans and for the customers, I mean, Midtown's been here for 20 years. We're one of the longest lasting stores, and especially one of the size. There aren't a lot of stores you'll find that can deliver what we can. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, that was quite the visionary choice to pick Times Square at a time when it might not have seemed so intuitive. And obviously, it's, you know, uh, worked out very nicely. Speaking of the third location, uh, so I actually work for Pace University. Uh, I'm at the law school in, on, in White Plains. That's our campus. But I am occasionally at the downtown campus. So uh, whenever I am there, I do stop into the uh, to the downtown location. I'll have to let you know next time. Yeah, hopefully, I, I can catch you. To be honest with you, I see a lot of faces every day. So <laughs> I'll remember yours. <laughs> 
Now, comic book stores, uh, in my experience and from talking with others, tend to attract colorful personalities on both sides of the counter. And I imagine that's even more so the case in a city like New York, where there's just so many people and so many different kinds of people. So I was just curious if there have been any particularly memorable or amusing uh, interactions that either of you have had uh, at, the, at any of these Midtown stores. Being in New York, we're surrounded by a lot of celebrities. So we get a lot of celebrity interactions. I think my favorite one that I like to think about is uh, a few years ago, this is my six, seven years ago, when Joss Whedon's uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog had come out. That day, I'd watched it in the morning because I was a Joss Whedon fan. And a gentleman came up to the line. It was a Wednesday, a busy Wednesday. I said, next in line, come up. And you, this gentleman's wearing a Dr. Horrible sing-along hat. And I said, hey, I, I watched that this morning. It was really good. And he looks up and he goes, thank you. And it was Joss Whedon. Uh, and there's lots of there's lots of like uh, stories just like that one where it's just you know you're, you're just not even paying attention. And there's I don't want to you know I don't want to out anybody for coming out yeah. to the store because you. But I mean Frank Grillo, uh, Crossbones in the Civil War movie, he came mm-hmm. in and I just I love his enthusiasm for the character. He was like, I'm playing Crossbones. What do you have as Crossbones? And the, and so he would come in every two weeks and like, what's new? And he would be like, so you won't believe what we're filming now. And it's it's just a, it's a great place to be in New York and, and surrounded by that. Kind of on that note, that I just want a quick follow up about these celebrity walk-ins. Because obviously I know you do a lot of, you know, signings and things that are set up ahead of time. But then you do get people who just walk in like that. Mm-hmm. Are there any protocols in place that the staff is supposed to follow? I mean, other than like be cool. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'm be cool. I, I don't think we don't really have a regular thing. Um if anything, maybe we try not to crowd people. We try not to bombard people because, of course, you know, a lot of these actors and actresses that come through the store, they're just going about their day. They're shopping. They want to check it out. And so we don't want to crowd them and make them feel unwelcome. It's imagine whatever you go into a store and you have somebody immediately hounding you. Now, imagine how much worse that is when you're a celebrity and that's all you get. So we try not to crowd them. Maybe if anything, we'll, you know, ask them for a picture or something and we'll leave them alone for the most part um people are really cool actually it's funny you mentioned joss whedon because he happened to have come by he's come by our store like twice in the last year um he keeps coming by and it's funny because uh some of the staff will be like is that joss whedon over there <laughs> i don't know i don't want to approach him and they have a kind of a bit of a gag with it uh it's fun I should add, though, that I won't, again, I won't name names, but we have been asked to stay open longer for certain celebrities, and we always say no. We want to treat everybody the same. Uh, one of the famous stories that's actually been printed in a comic book so I could say this is Michael Jackson stopped by the Times Square store. This is before my time, but uh, he just walked in, and we treated him like everybody else. Yeah. It's pretty well, fun. I didn't. I didn't. Well, I probably would have been like, oh, my God, Michael Jackson. But this, this, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the original owners, this is maybe about 15 years ago. They treated him just like uh, anybody else. But he waited in line just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I am familiar with that story. I came across that in my prep for today. As I understand it, he only spoke, though, through his bodyguard. Yeah. Uh, from what I hear, yes. Yeah. That's a famous story that everybody likes to tell. <laughs> Now, uh, you know, I know Midtown has been featured a lot in the media. You guys have, you know, received a a ton of coverage. I am very grateful that you guys have taken the time to be on my little podcast here. Um, But one thing that I wanted to know, you know, for someone who's out there, maybe even if they have followed you on social media or read articles or things like that, I know that can't always capture everything. So if you're out there in Kansas and you've never been to New York, you've never been to Midtown, what might you be surprised to know about Midtown that you might not have come across in what's been put out there? Well, I think that the thing with Midtown is that we're very much 
we're kind of like the mom and pop shop that just did well. We're very intimate and we have a very uh, firsthand experience with the product. I mean, everybody in this company has kind of done a little bit of everything. So people really rise up through. And because of that, we're really knowledgeable staff. I think it's easy to kind of think that maybe people don't actually have the firsthand knowledge. But with us, because we do happen to be in the hub of New York City, we kind of get to pick out the people that really know this stuff. So we have a really great knowledgeable staff. And I think that it's really surprising to a lot of people that we're so expansive. Um, when we tell people that, oh, this isn't our only store, we've got other stores. Or when we tell people you should go to the website and they're like, wait, you sell stuff online? You mail everywhere in the world? Like stuff like that, I think really surprises people because they just assume, well, I'm going to get a couple books. Maybe they'll have a couple cool back issues on the wall and that's going to be it. That's going to call it a day. But we're really so much more than that. Yeah, we're very similar to other regular comic book shops. It's just the the location and just the the name that we've been around. Like uh, you can't read. I mean, I found out about Midtown Comics reading a Marvel comic, you know, tw- twelve years ago with all our ads, mm-hmm. and here I am today on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now this is my uh, like who watches the Watchmen question. So I mean, just given Midtown's position within the retail industry, I mean, you have countless stores who likely look to Midtown as an example to try to emulate. Obviously, the store has been very successful, multiple locations, all of that. And so, the you know, who watches the watchman of it all? I mean, what stores are you guys inspired by? What stores might you look to um, for, for inspiration? Well, in New York, we are, I'm not going to say that we're entirely a pioneer. We're not the first comic book store. We're not. Um, but one of the big stores that was around before us was Cosmic Comics. It was a, Cos- it was a comic book store on 23rd Street. I actually went there a lot when I was in high school because I went to school in the area. And Cosmic was around for years and years. And so that was one of those early shops that we were able to take a look at and maybe draw a little bit of inspiration of, see what worked for the company and what would be good for the future. And now we kind of have to keep an eye on everybody. You know, the thing is, is that comics are a very intimate uh, community. There aren't that many comic book stores, you know, there aren't that many different publishers. So you kind of keep an eye on everything. And I think that it's natural because we'll draw inspiration from other stores and they'll draw inspiration from us. We don't even necessarily see it as competition. We see it as helping one another out because we want the, the comic book industry to grow. There's a reason the comic books are the only print industry that has actually managed to survive. And that's because it is a community and we all kind of work together. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I was going to bring up is that there's this like – I don't know. That's but, but people seem like we're like a turf war between different comic book shops. You shop at this one, I shop at this one, and in reality, we're all friends. We're all in this together, and it's completely different. Like if you shop at a different store, that is a hundred percent okay with us. Um, I mean, we're not, we're not, we understand, and it's just, but it's like we're a big family in New York here. Yeah, and it's cool because one of the funny things is that because we have three different stores, I actually think it's really funny. We have a lot of customers that every different store sees. And they'll go from one store to another store. And we have regulars who every Wednesday they go to different locations to try to find different things. Maybe they'll be looking for a particular incentive variant. Maybe they'll be looking for just a hard-to-find back issue. But I think that's actually a really cool thing is that we have people that even bounce between our different stores because there's different roles. The three stores are in competition with each other. We hate each other. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One wears red, one wears blue. Yeah. Now, maybe one difference from other smaller stores, is it fair to say that you guys are more walk-in driven versus uh, driven by your pull list subscribers? Yeah. I mean, 
one of the benefits of being in New York and especially being right at the bottom of Times Square is that we do get a lot of walk by traffic. So I would, but we do, but we also do have a lot of regulars. Yeah. Uh, when I started at the Times Square store 10 years ago, I was overwhelmed with how many subscribers we had. I, like I said, I came from a store that had eight people that had a pull list and there was a small little box. And uh, I went from that to literally folders of people and it would take us literally a, a a day to pull those subscribers, uh, the, the comics for the subscribers for. So there is that, you know, that base, but you got to put on the top of it, everybody from Germany, from, you know, Russia right. coming in every single day. So it, it's a nice mix of everybody. Yeah, we definitely see a little bit of everything. I think that there's almost, uh, there's two different types of clients that we have. We have the regulars, we have the people that come through the store and they visit us on a weekend. It's almost like you have the weekday versus the weekend crowd. And on a Wednesday, that's when you know that you have regular customers. That's when you know that you have subscribers because you've got hundreds of people. You've got a line going around the entire store. You've got so many people that are so eager to come by. And definitely with uh, a lot of the subscription-based customers, I think that that's what we really want to pour a lot of our energy into because these are the people that have told us, we like your store. We want to be here week in, week out. So we owe it to them to make sure that we provide the best quality experience that we can. And I think that we get a lot of really positive feedback from that. Even if we don't necessarily have subscribers, we have regulars to come in on a weekly basis. And the only reason maybe they don't subscribe is they really want to get the right cover. <laughs> They're really and some do both. Up. Some do both. And some do both. But it's it's nice because even with all these different people we're seeing, we know everybody's name. Like yeah, people come through the door. It's like uh, a Cheers where you say Norm or right. Yeah, we <laughs> might have you know we might have a thousand people that come in on a Wednesday, but I can tell you that I know the names of five hundred of them. Mm -hmm. That's really something. So I've had uh, Dan Greenfield on my show before. He's the guy who runs 13thDimension.com, and uh, Midtown is his local comic book store. He works in the city, and he comes in every week to pick up his books. And in one of the earlier episodes when I had him on, he mentioned that, that you know the guys know him by name when he comes in. And that was something that uh, I, was, I was very impressed by, and that's great to hear. Because again, that you know those face-to-face -face interactions, that community building, I know what a big part of, of any store that is. So I mean, that's great that You've been able to maintain that while, while again, still deal, you know, working on such a large scale and dealing with so many people. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess just one other follow-up as far as uh, maybe some of the differences or similarities uh, between Midtown and other smaller retailers. I've been talking to a lot of people behind the counter and, you know, some of the challenges that I, I keep hearing, uh, and I know this from my own experience working at a store as well, uh, again, dealing with the distributor, dealing with UPS, dealing with damages and shortages, dealing with people not coming in to pick up their books, things like that. Um, I mean, are those challenges that you guys are facing too? Is Does it play out differently given the, the, the large volume that you're working with? I mean, I don't know if that volume makes it easier and that you can absorb some of those things or harder because there are there is so much going on. I was going to say a little column A, column B there. Uh, yeah. We do have all those problems that smaller shops do. UPS doesn't come through, whether it be a snowstorm or just that thing. But there is times when we're, you know, we are very relatable to the very small comic book shop. Yeah. And, but uh, we just deal with it. Uh, we, one of the benefits of being three stores is that we help each other out. So let's say that uh, Times Square store uh, didn't get their shipment of Spider-Man comics, the, the, the new Spider-Man. We'll send some of our Spider-Man from our downtown store. We do. We share between the stores. We're like we said, we're a big family. So yeah. we have. Uh, we're fortunate enough to be like that. But even then, like there's times when we're rushing to put up the books because we get them at the very last yeah. minute, Wednesday morning, <laughs> uh, just like everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the nature of the business. I mean, we'll always suffer a little bit if there's weather delay, like Ted mentioned. But 
we always try to do our best to make sure that we can cover one another. And we always try to, if nothing else, if maybe a customer put a really rare book on hold or something, we will always make sure to get back to the customer and try to actually get in touch. But in the worst case scenario, we are New York City. We do know that there will be somebody out there that can really enjoy that book. It's very rare that we actually have that happen because most of the time we have... Uh, we make sure that people put down deposits and stuff like that. So if somebody's ordering something really crazy that we might not get in store, well, yeah, we're just like everybody else. We make sure that they <laughs> paid for it so that we're not sitting on it. And we do follow up with subscribers who yeah. don't, who don't uh, pick up. I think <clears throat> we'll give you a buzz after a few months, but most people have a good story. They're yeah. traveling the world. you know. Right. There's, <laughs> if, and if people ever tell us, we'll stop pulling their books for a while, but we'll keep them in mind. They can tend to yeah. tell us how long they're out of town. Or We never kick anybody out, just unwarranted. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that you take a deposit. And it's funny, you said you know, you're like everybody else. I have to tell you, at least from the stores that I've spoken to, a lot of stores tend to not utilize a deposit system. So I think that, I mean, I think that's smart. Yeah. It's, it's just it's like a, it's more for, I always think that deposit is you're going to pay that money anyway, but this way, at least you remember that you have it. Yeah. I mean, we've, I've had personal experience working over here 10 years. Someone will put a deposit down on a statue and then we'll never see it again for two years. And they'll walk, randomly walk in the store and it'll be like, Hey, did you want to pick up that statue? And they go, Oh my God, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So it's, but mostly it's for people just to remind them that's what that they have something with us. Yeah, and it's good for a lot of people because a lot of people like doing that. They like taking care of it right away. They like not having to worry about it. And sometimes if it's something that's really expensive, it's really helpful because other stores might not necessarily utilize the deposit system. But say it is a sideshow collectible statue. Sideshow collectibles are top of the line. You know, you're buying a $400 statue. $400, you can't always just throw $400 onto the counter. But you can throw $200 onto the counter and then you can come back later after your next paycheck you can put down another hundred you can come back and then you can finish it off and doing stuff like that really makes it so that we can try to provide for the customers on the biggest scale possible at the store where I work there was a customer who used to bank money with us it wasn't for anything in particular he just wasn't really great with managing his money so every now and then when he had a few <laughs> extra bucks he would say here hold this for me so he had an envelope with his name on it and he would put money in it and then when he was ready to buy something he would that's a great idea that's Henry, neat. let's let's steal that yeah let's take the money first and then exactly <laughs> uh you know you mentioned before ted about how you know it is a family of stores you have the three locations and they can help each other out as far as having the three different locations, you know, what are some of the ways that you guys strive to maintain consistency? Like, what are the things that need to be, you know, uniform across the stores? And then what are the ways where each of the stores, and yours in particular, I suppose, might have carved out their own their own identity? Well, the downtown store is known for all of its events. We have, uh, we're fortunate enough to, uh, especially in New York City, have a big wide open space where we can host signings, parties. Uh, Q&As, uh, book clubs. So we use that space a lot. So it seems like every week or every two weeks, we got some creator coming in for that. Um, but everything else is pretty much the same. I think like as far as how we uh, inventory the books, how we reorder the books, it's the same across all the boards, all three stores. Yeah. Um, but So there's not really much difference. I would say that I always like to say as the downtown store, even though we've been open six years now, we're like the little brother out of the big two brothers. Yeah. Um, so we're always trying to prove something. Um, but in, in reality, we're just like everybody else, uh, just like the other stores, except, yeah. you know, we have this space where uh, Henry can come down and use and 
get whoever. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm still we, waiting for Stan Lee to come down. But. I know one of these days, <laughs> but we get to do a lot of really cool different things at the different stores. Um, Times Square, you know, gets such a high value or volume of traffic that we really try to appeal towards the most people possible. We do a lot of really big displays. We do a lot of things where we try to really provide because we know that we're going to get different things. And I think that because Times Square is the biggest of the three stores, we get to spend a little bit more time doing the fun stuff with Grand Central and uh, downtown. We sometimes get to do, maybe we'll have a certain celebrity appearances and we do a lot of that stuff through our Grand Central store. So Grand Central, if somebody, maybe we're too busy at the Times Square store and somebody gives us a heads up, maybe they'll swing by Grand Central. We've been very fortunate. We've had a lot of celebrities actually just randomly pop in. I remember last year, there was a one week period where we had both Henry Cavill and Mark Ruffalo coming into the store and they went to the Grand Central store. And that was very fun for everybody there. And I think that doing little things like that help to make the stores feel like they have their own identity. So as we wind down here, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, given Midtown's uh, location, obviously in Manhattan and prominence in the industry, you know, you've been able to foster relationships with creators and publishers and attain a certain level of, of access. And so what I wanted to know is how do you guys utilize your position uh, to promote the needs of, of your customers, the stores, or, or even, you know, the retail industry as a whole? I don't know if there's anything in particular that you can pinpoint, but whether it's something specific or, or more general, I was just curious about, uh, you know, kind of how you're able to, to do that. Well, we try to abuse that as much as possible. <laughs> we try to push people out and uh, box them in. No, uh, <laughs> you know, we try to just provide uh, what we can for everybody. The nice thing is that um, we kind of get to be the go-between for a couple of different companies or maybe with other stores where we can kind of foster the relationship and help maybe a company understand better what the consumer is feeling directly. Marvel can do all they want, but they are not the ones that are physically selling the books themselves. So maybe Marvel will want to turn to us and say, hey, we just dropped that new Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man book. How's it doing? We know we're really excited for it. Chip Zartsky and Adam Kubert, we want it to be a good book. What do you guys think? How's the buzz? Um, we can have a rapport with these uh, different companies. And with the creators, too, we get to do a lot for them. And I think that that's where I know I personally have a lot of fun because we get to have a really important individual relation with these creators and we get to tell them firsthand you are a small publisher we can tell you how your book is doing you can look at the numbers all you want but you don't know what the consensus is you might maybe you're moving 10,000 units on your book but is it 10,000 people buying it begrudgingly or is it 10,000 enthusiastic people is there room to grow what can you do to really maximize the spread of your book uh one of the examples that i, I, I that i bring up is that um it's fun because i i have seen uh one of the best up-and-coming writers, Scott Snyder, literally come into our Times Square store and say, hi, I'm Scott. I write this little book. And it's fun to see him grow to where he's at, uh, to the point where um, we see him a lot in signings and he just comes in the store in general. He will uh, tell you the story of what he's working on or tell me the story. I shouldn't say he tell everybody. But it's <laughs> like, uh, for, for instance, right now he's working on the metal with uh, Greg Capullo. Sure. I, know, I know all about metal. I know the, what's going to happen, what's the metal, what's the ending. But I can't tell anybody. But it's very fun to like see people when they come up. There's like a one-shot book out now, the, the Forge. People ask, what is this? And I go, well, it's the first step in this storyline. It's going to end up here. And they go, what's it about? And I go, I can't tell you. But <laughs> trust me on this, that they know what they're doing. It's going to be good. Yeah. Um, so it's it's fun like you know seeing people 
bringing uh, bringing new readers in just because something they normally wouldn't pick up. Although I'm sure they would pick up metal. Yeah, that's a, that seems like a big deal right now. <laughs> that's really interesting. You know, when I was asking the question, I guess I was thinking of it in terms of you know what you know you get out of it. But it seems like you know you guys well, are I, providing. I get, all, I get all the secrets out of it. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, it seems like you guys are, are really providing a lot of insight to the publishers and creators. And Definitely. I'm sure that must be incredibly helpful for them. Yeah, I mean, I remember, goodness, last summer, and actually this summer as well, um, last summer I read the entirety of Civil War II just so that I could make sure that I was on it and we would get whatever we could so I could provide it with the customers. This year I'm actually taking it a step further. I've read every single book that touches Secret Empire, every single main story, every single tie-in. But doing stuff like that is really good because... We have an opportunity here at this store and with this and with Midtown where we can really help spread the right knowledge. And I think that sometimes, especially in this modern day and age of the Internet, you know, so many things get spread around falsely. And I think that what's good is because of this relationship that we have with different publishers that we have with creators, we can make sure people are finding out the facts. They are not finding out a rumor. They are not finding out happenstance. They are finding out 100 percent. No, this happens and this happens here. This is where we will point people. Mm -hmm. And that's really good because I think that, you know, that's the problem is I see so much misinformation going around. People are like, oh, man, I didn't know that Batman was fighting against the Joker or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, here, let me point you towards the book that will show you where that story is unfolding. Are you able to still enjoy everything or is it, does it feel more like homework in, uh, in a case oh, like yeah, that? I was ask. That's a big task. Uh, for me, oh, well, I love <laughs> it. Um, I mean, I've grown up a fanboy. I've been reading comics for pretty much my entire life. And so as much as it is a job, yeah, of course, but it's so much fun. And especially, you know, getting those little tidbits. Everybody loves when they see like the five second teaser online, but we kind of get to find out the equivalent for the comic book industry. We could find out maybe that threat or maybe... I like to think, uh, it's funny, we have a couple customers who will come into the store who are regulars that are creators, who are writers. And I'll always pay attention to what books they're buying because I'm just like, somewhere in that book, you are buying the book that you're going to be writing in six months. Like I remember, it was the funniest thing, uh, Matt Rosenberg, he is a frequent customer that we have, very nice guy, and he wrote a six-issue Rocket Raccoon book recently. But a year ago... I remember him coming through and buying a stack of like 10 Guardians of the Galaxy trades. And I even asked him, I was like, oh, you're doing some light reading there? What do you got there, Matt? <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, some things. And it's funny to see how that kind of turns out. Going back to Scott Snyder, he bought a whole bunch of detective comics. And I just said, well, when do you start writing detective? And he was like, I started two weeks ago. Yeah, he, probably gave me, <laughs> he probably gave me his whole outline. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So our time here is just about done. Uh, I, my last question, any upcoming events or initiatives that listeners should keep an eye out for coming from Midtown Comics or anything else that you just want to share with, with listeners about your stores? Well, in the next couple of weeks, we do have a couple signings. Midtown, like Ted said, we always do a lot of events. We always try to do a lot of signings. Um, and I can't say because they're not officially put out into the public yet, but we do have some other really big events coming up. For July and uh, even August as well, we've got some really, really great stuff that people are definitely going to want to check out. Um, if you follow us on social media, you'll get the updates as soon as we have it out there. Yeah, and then and other than that, I think just uh, the continuing growth in comics, like mm -hmm. you know, just uh, it's just people coming in every day and more comics to get yeah. out there. And maybe those kids that I helped out ten years ago, they have kids, and now ten years from now, they'll be working for me too. Definitely, uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody work for Ted. Uh, Please I, do. Yeah. But I think that you know, comics are such a wonderful thing. Um, I really love that we've 
this company has been here for 20 years. I love that we're going to be celebrating that anniversary because for me, comics have a very special place in my heart. I can't think of any other thing in my entire life that I have done every single week for 15 years. For 15 years, every single day, I knew where I was on a Wednesday. Didn't matter if I was in Chicago. Didn't matter if I was in California. I was at the comic book store. And Midtown Comics, we really try to provide that community that gets people to come back. I mean, so many of our clients have been with us since the beginning. And I love that. I love that we have provided that sense of community that maybe think about your life and think about 15 years. Think about how much has changed to be able to go somewhere and have that there. I think that's really special. I can't think of a better note to go out on. Uh, you know, thank you both so much for being part of this episode of My Comic Shop History. It's really been a pleasure speaking with both of you. Yes, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was, it was my pleasure. Yeah, a lot of fun. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yeah. Come on, Dad. I speak for myself. <laughs> you have the little brother syndrome. I speak for the trees. <laughs> well, there you have it. That was my conversation with Midtown Comics. I am now pleased to welcome to the show 13th Dimension Editor-in-Chief and Midtown Comics regular, Dan Greenfield. Dan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate this. This will really help round out this Midtown Comics episode. I wanted to get the customer perspective sure. on this. And I understand you did have a chance to listen to what I recorded yes. uh, with Midtown. So that's great. So I'd love to get your take on, on specific things sure. that jumped out at you. Uh, but just right off the bat, uh, if you could tell me a little bit about your comic shop history at Midtown. How long have you been shopping there? Ooh, I've probably been going there for eight to ten years, I would say, because um, I work in Manhattan. And so every Wednesday I, uh, I make my way over there and I don't, I don't work too far from there. And of course it's right across from grand central, which is my way home. And I love going. I mean, it's, 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 I, I've, I guess actually, actually now that I think about it, it's probably the comic shop I've gone to, you know, the longest in, in my life. So it's really kind of my place. And it's some place that, you know, every Wednesday I walk down 47th, make my way over to Lex, make a right, and and there it is. And it's just part of that routine that I really, you know, I really enjoy it. And it's the kind of thing also that even if for some Wednesday, if I have to miss it, I will always make sure to go Thursday if I have to. It's just one of those things that's, that's, that's the whole thing. It's almost like a ritual. Yeah. So as you heard, you actually came up in the conversation with Midtown yeah. Comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. <laughs> well, because they were talking about how, you know, despite how, how large of an operation they are and right. how many people they deal with on a regular basis, that for the most part, they, they do still get to know customers by name, which was something I had heard from you yes. previously. And I was surprised by that because, you know, when talking you know about alternate realities all of these years, right. you know, we always prided ourselves on the community and the fact that we weren't a quote unquote supermarket comic book store. Right. And I guess when you do think of a store that might fall into that category, you might think of a store like Midtown. Sure. So it was very interesting to me, you know, to hear that. So like you go in and they, now do they know you through your work with 13th Dimension or, or more purely as a customer? Mostly as a customer because I was a customer first. So the people there who do know that, that I'm connected to 13th Dimension, they know that as an extra, but that's not how they got to know me. And then there are people there who you know, they have no idea. They're just, I'm just one of their, you know, many people who come through and, and what have you. It's a mix, um, which is different than a smaller place like, you know, uh, like a, uh, like an alternate realities or, or a, I mean, I, I don't want to not call them a mom and pop because they really are. I mean, they, they, they are, they're really successful, but they are still a relatively small operation. But, you know, in terms of like a, a one and done kind of shop that it, it definitely has a different kind of vibe. So, 
Uh, there are certain people who do know you, certain people who don't. And you definitely, when you walk in every Wednesday, the place is always hopping. Like I said, the one I go to is a Grand Central. You know, Times Square, regardless of the time and regardless of the day, it's always busy. I mean, I've, I've gone in there at all hours, all, you know, any day of the week, depending on, for whatever reason, if I'm over in that part of town, over Times Square, it's always busy. There's always a line. There's always something going on. And downtown in Grand Central, a little bit different. It really depends on, on the timing. So I tend to be at Grand Central on Wednesday afternoons around four or five o'clock thereabouts. And it's always busy. So sometimes there are like pockets of conversations and there's a lot of back and forth and the people you know, you know, and you're like, hey, Rob, how are you doing? And, you know, whatever, Serge, nice to see you. What's going on? And, and you know, and, and even if the, the people who are there who don't know you, they're extremely helpful. Um, that's the thing that, that is great about it is that it's bright, it's brightly lit. It's, it's a helpful staff. It's a knowledgeable staff. You never get any kind of attitude. So it's a, you know, I mentioned that because a lot of people still to this day are intimidated in terms of going into comic book shops and Midtown is the opposite of that. There's anybody can be, you know, the only, if I said, if there's anything I would change is I think that they should have a spouse chair. You know, that's, that's, you know, I think all comic shops should have a spouse chair, whether it's for the husband, the wife, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the whatever, because that's, you know, I could spend a lot of time in there, but if I'm with somebody, it's like, oh, I got to go. But uh, it's, it's welcoming enough that someone would be comfortable sitting in a spouse chair. The staff aspect of it is interesting to me. You know, they mentioned when I spoke to them about how essentially they have their pick of the litter because yeah. they're, you know, you know, they're in the city. They have so right. many people, so they can really have the best and most knowledgeable employees, right. which is terrific. How much staff turnover have you seen in your time going there? I mean, do people tend to stick around for a long time or they are in and out more? There are people who I've seen who've been, who've been there for years and who know me and they know my son, you know, and they recognize him and, and they, you know, they're who've known him since he was shorter than me and now he's much taller than me, you know, that sort of thing. Others, it's, re, you know, it is a retail job. So, I mean, there's some people who've been working there for a long time and no matter what, you, you, you get a blank face. Not that they're not friendly, but just not everybody is, hey, buddy, buddy. So it's been a mix. There's definitely some longtime employees and sometimes they do move around. Um, and I've also gotten to know like Ted Alexander, who, who actually used to contribute to 13th dimension at the very beginning when we were doing, you know, we do our weekly hot picks and, you know, Demetrius, um, who used to run the, um, grand central location and Ted were contributors and we've cycled in and out of people who've done it. We have a different, you know, a, a different team now. Um, it's me and a guy out in California who do it now, but it, it's, you know, so I've gotten to know those guys and what have you, but it really kind of varies. Yeah, I have to say, I was struck by how welcoming and friendly they were to me. Not that I was expecting them to be standoffish or anything like right, that, yeah. but even just in terms of setting this up, I mean, everyone was super friendly and yeah. responsive, but they were just different channels that I had to go through right. compared to other stores, the more mom and pop shops that I that I have been dealing with. And well, it's understandable. Yeah, it's not corporate, but they definitely have a structure because they've got a central office, they've got the different locations, they've got a, a marketing manager, right. so, you know, so who you had on, you know, who's on the episode. Uh, and who, by the way, who I'm sure is probably listening to this has a great voice for podcasting. I'll tell you that. The guy, right. He really has a great voice. But, it, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's definitely a larger operation. And I, it's my understanding that they're the number, Diamond's number one customer. So that also tells you a lot in terms of what their what their impact is on the industry, you know, in the retail end of the industry too. Yeah. So, but it was just funny because I guess going in, you know, I'm very proud of the show and all of that, but sure. in terms of, of scale, I mean, they're on one level and, and I'm on another. Right. And so, I mean, having them on the show 
honestly does more for me <laughs> than it necessarily does for them. But they, I mean, again, they could not have been more welcoming, more friendly. Yeah. You know, they are busy, so we did have a half hour time limit. But honestly, you know, even once I was packing up, they were still hanging around. We were sure. still chatting. You know, I feel like I probably could have gotten them to record even longer if I had right. pushed it. You know, they were just, I, I was just really, uh, I just had such a great experience beyond, I mean, I, I felt like it was going to be good going in, but even beyond that, it was just a really positive experience. Well, I think it also comes from the top. I'm, I'm friendly with the one of the owners, a guy named Jerry Gladstone, who is like that. You know, he's, he's very approachable, very easy to deal with. And there's a lot of times that he and I have talked off, you know, behind the scenes about certain things. And, you know, I know that they have, this is a, this is a, a company that has put a premium on customer service and on the customer experience. And it really, it shows when you're in the store because the place is immaculate, you know, it's, I mean, it is bright clean, well-stocked. And I feel spoiled sometimes, you know, I, I do hear about, you know, when you, when you read certain things and certain stories and, you know, I'm friendly with other retailers elsewhere and I hear that the issues that they're having, particularly with, I know that, you know, the people not picking up pull lists and that can make or break a smaller store. Midtown can probably withstand some of that, although I'm sure it, har- it harms them too. But they can withstand certain things that others can't. You you also are almost guaranteed to get any book that you want. It's fairly uncommon that I'll walk in by 4 o'clock on a Wednesday to have something sold out. Maybe there's a book that they only get a few copies of because there's just not enough interest. And I happen to be one of the few people and maybe I'll miss it out, you know, miss out, you know, one week or so. But it's not the kind of place where you have to worry about whether or not they're going to have all your major books because you go in and the place is really well stocked. And speaking of that, so do you have a pull list there or do you just go in and no. grab off the shelf? No, I grab off the shelf and, and I have a, a, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is because I'm in comic book media. I, uh, sometimes, you know, you get stuff sent to you by the publishers to read. So I don't always know what that's going to be. So I need to be more flexible. Um, also, it sometimes I'll change my mind on a whim. You know, I don't want to commit to something three months in advance if I decided sometime in those in the two months in between that I don't want that book anymore because I do change my own reading. Sometimes I do read things for the, for the purposes of 13th dimension because I want to stay current on something. I want to write about something, but most of my actual comic book reading is still for pleasure. So I'll quit books and pick up books and drop books. So I, I, I prefer a little bit more flexibility to the, to the subscription idea. But then again, that's also where I'm spoiled. I can probably get away with that because I'm a Midtown comics customer. than let's say if I lived 500 miles West of here, you know, then maybe if that's, if it's the only game in town, you got to kind of play with the subscription. I would probably do that to make sure that I didn't get, that I didn't get screwed out of something, but I don't feel like I need to do that at Midtown. Yeah. I guess since they are, again, servicing so many people right. uh, and dealing with so many walk-ins, yeah. you know, they, you know, the volume that they're dealing with yeah. is just incredible. And so they are able to keep things on the shelf. So. It's true. And and when you do walk in, there are people who I see in terms of the customers every week, same faces. I see some of the same people, but there's a lot of people you never see again. You're, you're in, I mean, it's called Midtown Comics for a reason. It's in Midtown Manhattan, <laughs> except for the Midtown downtown location, which I always think is kind of funny. Um, but you know, it's the brand. What are you going to do? They're not going to change the name, but it's, you get you get tourists, you know, you get people from other parts of the city who may be in Manhattan for whatever reason that day, but that's not their normal place to shop. Especially in Times Square, you see a lot more tourists also because it's right there. It's, you know, technically, a, I guess a block south of Times Square, or, but, you know, it's practically Times Square. 
So that definitely adds to it too. So you walk in and you see they've got all the variant covers. They've got, you know, they, and you know, we haven't even talked about the fact that, you know, the kinds of signings that they do, there are some stores in this country that never get to see the kind of creators that get to come through here. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Do you, do you attend any of those signings? Sometimes on occasion. Um, it's, if it's someone I want to interview, you know, I get, it, it really, really depends. You know, I had a, a really good, uh, you know, interview where it was uh, Frank Miller, Brian Azzarello, uh, Klaus Jansen, and Andy Kubert were there for when they were launching Dark Knight 3, for example. So a guy who helps me out, uh, G.D. Kennedy at the website, um, he and I went, and we basically split the four of them up and did interviews of two-on-one you know, two on one and two-on-one and stuff like that. And they're really accommodating for someone like me who, you know, that's an opportunity to talk to some people who I don't generally get to talk to just by picking up the phone. It really depends otherwise. Yeah, you know, for all of the years that I've been going there, and again, I'm not a regular there, right. but, you know, whenever I have the chance to go, I do go. But I've only ever been to two signings there. One was uh, Frank Miller when Dark Knight Strikes Again came out. Okay. And the second one was Brian K. Vaughn when he was promoting Pride of Baghdad. Right. Uh, and both were, you know, were great events. The Frank Miller one, I remember waiting. Uh, the line was long enough, and I got there late enough that I was on the street waiting to get in. Right. Uh, but Brian K. Vaughn, I was actually one of the first people there. It was great. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the, and and like Ted was saying, in, in, you know, in that segment of the, of, of the podcast, they have the nice little space for it there, you know, at the downtown location. So, and they also have a nice alleyway right off the, you know, right off near the front door so that they have a good crowd control there and it makes it a good location for that sort of thing. You know, it's funny, and, and this came up in the conversation when I was asking them about, you know, their position in the industry and leveraging that. And, and I was thinking of it in terms of what they could get out of it from right. creators and from publishers. And I hadn't really considered the flip of that, which is what a tremendous resource they can be for publishers big and small and creators big and small. Yeah, that was really interesting, too. I, it was interesting to hear that, like the interplay that Ted was talking about with, you know, Scott Snyder, for example. Frankly, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's part of the reason why I've always wanted to have retailers involved with 13th Dimension was because they have a particular, they have a very specific point of view in the industry. They're not creators, they're not publishers, but they're on the front lines and they probably see and hear things and experience things in a way that nobody else does. Not us as readers or media or as, you know, writers or what have you, but they can really you know, they can really say, and I thought the one thing that Ted said that was really interesting, he says, he can tell you that 10,000 people may buy this book, but they don't do it with enthusiasm. Right. In other words, the people who, as I like to call our newspaper readers, in the sense that they read it because they feel like they have to keep up in, with it, or maybe because they, they are afraid to drop it because they're waiting for it to get better. The whole, when can I drop the book thing that you and I have talked about in the yeah. past, or people who are just really into it and really look forward to, to uh, uh, that particular book. So yeah, I thought that was interesting with the feedback that they can give to writers and artists. Yeah, it was really an angle I, I hadn't considered. Yeah. So that was, that was cool to hear. And it made me think of my own experience behind the counter at the comic shop. But right. it's true, you know, someone comes up with a stack of books and they might just volunteer something or maybe you'll say, oh, you're reading whatever. And, you know, you get that instant feedback and right. it could be, it's like, yeah, I can't wait to read it or, oh, like, you know, when is the storyline ending or, right. or whatever. And then the other thing to realize is that, you know, Midtown's not the only game in town either. I mean, there are other some, you know, long lasting comic book shops like St. Mark's Comics, for example, and other stores that are in and around, you know, the city and not just in Manhattan either, but Brooklyn and Queens and you know, Staten Island, you know, you also have JHU, which is also not far from either man, you know, Midtown location. So as a New York comic fan, you really are spoiled. And that's not even to mention a place like Metropolis Comics, which deals 
by appointment only, you know, that's, and, and by the way, anybody who's listening, and if you want to go buy yourself a comic at Metropolis Comics or Metropolis Collectibles, make an appointment, they have some great stuff that they have there on display, but you can only see it if you make the appointment. But I bring that up only because as a comic book fan, I, I completely recognize how spoiled that we are. And, but at the same time, if anybody who's listening is from the, you know, from out of the area and is in New York for a trip, I highly recommend not only just hitting Midtown Comics and do hit Midtown, but some of the others as well, because you can get a pretty complete comic book experience just by visiting the city. Absolutely. And uh, Jim Hanley, uh, JHU, will yeah. be represented on the store later this season. Great. So I'm excited to talk to them too. But yeah, the whole Manhattan comic scene, I mean, it's this season amazing. would not be complete without it. Yeah. Uh, so again, I was really grateful to be able to speak to the Midtown guys in particular. So we talked about attending signings. Another thing that came up in my conversation with them was uh, the the bit about the celebrity sightings. Sure. Have you ever bumped into anybody especially notable? No, I haven't. But it's just kind of funny that it does happen. I mean, I'm I'm aware of when it does happen, but no, it's never it's never been something that it's just happened to me. You know, I don't for whatever reason. For as often I've been there, you'd think that it would have happened, but. There, are time, there was a time where someone was like, oh, you just missed, you know, whoever it was. I don't remember exactly what it was, but that's probably the closest it's been. And I know you get to, you know, meet and interview a lot of people anyway, but is there anyone in particular you'd, you'd be you'd be excited to bump into? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of a tough question. Um, I mean, are you talking about in terms of comic book creators or are you talking about celebrities? Probably more celebrities. I don't, you know, I, look, it'd be cool to meet anybody, I guess. When you, if you look, if I ran into Henry Cavill, I, I, that'd be pretty cool. If I ran into Mark Ruffalo, I'd make sure to take him home to my wife. She's a big fan. <laughs> so, so when I, when I see guys like that showing up, it's pretty cool. But nah, I mean, it, uh, there's nobody who's on like a list or anything like that. But, you know, of course, anytime that, that kind of thing happens, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, in addition to the three locations, I know they also have a warehouse. Yeah. Where they store a substantial Queens, amount of yeah. their of their uh, merchandise, and that's also where when they buy collections, right? Don't they have specific buying days? They have specific buying days, um, but they also have like a, a warehouse sale that they have like increasingly too. They seem to be fairly rare occurrences, but I guess it's been really successful. So they open up their warehouse in Queens. I'm not sure how often they do it, but they've been doing it uh, lately. And then, of course, they also do they you know they do shows in the area as well. You know, they'll set up at you know, I mean, if you go to New York Comic Con, you can't miss them. They've got a gigantic banner and prime real estate right in the middle of the the main floor, and they you know it's like twenty percent off their trades, whatever they bring, and you know some of the if they go to some of the smaller shows, they'll maybe they'll bring a selection of back issues, that sort of thing. Yeah, have you ever been to the warehouse? No. No, I've never gone. I just, that's, dude, I don't like to stand online anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if I can avoid it, I do. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. Yeah. So in all of your time shopping at Midtown and specifically the Grand Central location, sure. um, how, if at all, have you seen the store change over those years? Well, that's the interesting thing is that it hasn't. I mean, the place is, I, it, it, it's well run. It's well operated. I mean, you want, it's the same place. I mean, maybe they'll change the displays around a little bit. They seem to be, for your interest at the Grand Central Store, they're playing pops up more than they used to. They have a whole <laughs> pops display near the front now or right in the center. And they have like a little carousel that, that, you know, where they're highlighting whatever characters have a hot TV show or a hot movie. But that's really the extent of it. Um, I'd say that their, that their back issue selection has improved some. Um, I'd say over the last couple of years, that was always kind of my beef about them was that they never seemed to have a great back. And for me, back issues are, you know, sixties and seventies, not, you know, the last year and two years, which they've got plenty of that. 
but even that, I mean, I'm not generally in the market for that stuff anymore, so I'm not really noticing. Occasionally, they'll have really great sales where it's like 40% off for a week, and you go in with your for your back issues, and I'll, I can't help but look at the wall and say, okay, you know, what hundred or fifty dollar book is there that I can get for a song? Is there anything there that that might interest me? But no, it's it's part of what makes it appealing is its consistency. You know, it's the same place you know every week for every year, and you know, in and out every Wednesday. I mean, it's true. You go there and they have everything and, yeah. and you know they're going to have it. Yeah. It's um, yeah, in fact, nice to be able to rely on them in that way. And when they don't, like I went there last Wednesday and they didn't have a book that I wanted. And I was like, what? You don't <laughs> have that? They're like, well, not many people order that one. And I was well, I'm not going to name which one it is because I don't want to call it out. And it's a book I happen to love. And they're like, well, not many people. I'm like, all right, okay. But guess what happened? They had it at Times Square. So Times Square sends it over to Grand Central. And when I go there... Next time I, I go in, it's going to be there waiting for me. And that's also the benefit is that if, the, if, if Grand Central doesn't have it, chances are Times Square will. Yeah. I mean, just to reiterate, I have to say, I, uh, just hearing them talk about their store, again, I just think of them as this juggernaut right. and hearing, just speaking to two people who are there and in it and hearing them talk about their store the way all these other retailers are talking about their stores. It, it just made me view it in a different way. And I, I really appreciated that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this one, this one thought. When I did a piece, um, or ran a piece, uh, several months ago that mentioned Midtown Comics and included them. I forget exactly what the topic was, but it had to do with retailer issues. And somebody in the comments posted, and it was negative. It was negative. It was a negative comment about Midtown Comics and basically how that they were out to kill the little guy and blah, 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 blah. And all I kept thinking was, you have no idea what you're talking about. I said, that's not my experience at all. And the people who I know, that's not their experience either. I said, they're just, they're just really good at what they do. And I've never gotten the sense that they're predatory. I've never gotten the sense that they're creepy or any of that kind of stuff. So it struck me that whoever the commenter was, was someone who had an ax to grind. Maybe it was a former employee. Maybe it was somebody who just, you know, couldn't be satisfied no matter where they were. But that's the thing that, that I really like dealing with them both professionally and then personally as a, as a customer is the fact that they are a really professional, well-run operation that also embraces the comic book community. Well said. Well, you know, thank you again for coming on and giving your perspective as a customer. Now, you and I are going to keep talking, yes. and we're going to be joined by our mutual friend, Chris Delando, to talk about comic conventions for an episode of my other podcast, Flat Squirrel Tales. So this is a first. My comic shop history, we're ending on a cliffhanger. <laughs> and if you want to hear our discussion on conventions, be sure to tune in next week to Flat Squirrel Tales Beyond My Comic Shop. And then, of course, My Comic Shop History will return in two weeks for a new episode. And I'm happy to announce, originally this season was going to be 10 episodes. I've decided to expand it because I've had so many great stores that I've been, I've been going to and recording with. So we're going to do 12 episodes instead of 10. So even more My Comic Shop History coming your way. So thank you again, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you uh, to everyone at Midtown Comics, especially uh, Jerry and Ted and Henry, who I recorded with. I really uh, had a great time. Don't be a flat squirrel.